Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2016. This is Michael talking about Step 12. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I'm sure that you're sick to death of my voice if you've been here for the whole weekend. Um, Thank you to the group for asking me this morning to do this. Um, And... uh, you know, I I, uh, I drink. You know, that's, that's what I do. I drink, and and I and I know that when I drink, uh, I can guarantee once what happens when I have one drink, I'm drunk. That's about all I can guarantee. But my experience is that when I drink, um, I get drunk, and uh, and that's been my experience from about the age of 13, and um, and up until the age of 41, and um, and at the age of 41, I. Stop drinking, and uh, and and what I've found out over time is that uh, when I got here was that I I process alcohol different to other people, and uh, once I put it in me, I, I crave more physically, and uh, and and I didn't know that till I got here because I just always drank the same way. That's just the way I drank. I'd, my first drink was a bottle of port, and um, and and that's you know that's unusual. To drink a bottle of port. It was a really cool bottle of port. It was a bottle of Orlando liqueur port, and it came in a really cool tube. And um, and I and uh, and I was that kid that went to parties and uh, went to, to parties in people's garages, and they drank West Coast Cools, and I drank a bottle of port. Um, and uh, and the way I drink is that you know I've, I've never had a glass of beer. Uh, I drink uh, I drink I drink alcohol with um, big numbers on the outside of the bottle for quality control. Um, because I, I like the effect of what happens when I've had three drinks. I, I like that, as someone explained, that breathing in, breathing in, breathing in, breathing in, breathing in, whoa, feeling at the first drink, and I love that, and the second drink goes in and, and I feel warm, and then the third one, you all change. I, I, I love that. And if I could be three drinks drunk, I'd be three drinks drunk, but my experience is that at... Uh, at at three drinks drunk, I, I just overshoot the mark every time. I can't stop at three drinks, and I'd love to. Um, and uh, and so, you know, that doesn't make me different. To everybody else in this room, you know, I'm an alcoholic, and, uh, and, and, and I drank, and things happened in my life eventually. You know, I got married, I had kids. I did all the things that grown-ups did, thinking that I would grow up by doing the same stuff that other people did. And what happened was that I didn't. I was still a, a 13 or 14-year-old boy in the body of a 41-year-old man. And my life was a mess when I got here. Yeah, and, but on the outside, it looked really good. I had uh, two cars in a garage and a big mortgage and a house out in the burbs and a family that didn't talk to me inside the house. And uh, I paid a lot of my employees a lot of money to put up with me. And, uh, and I had no friends and I was, you know, I suffered from... As Aaron described it earlier, I got here and all I thought I was going to die of loneliness. And um, and if you weren't drinking in my car and you weren't drinking in my garage, you weren't drinking with me. And there was nothing social about my drinking. And uh, and what happened was I, I stopped drinking. I, I had a moment of clarity at drunk at nine o'clock in the morning one day, screaming at my kids on school holidays, and I saw the fear in their eyes. And it was the first time that you know my girls were eleven and eight at that stage, and uh, and I saw how scared they were of me and um, and I made a decision that I would stop drinking and that's the only time I've ever done that you know, and my head continually tells me maybe I choose to stop drinking and I have 
it's a really scary place to be. I, I came here on Friday night and I saw David do his presentation on step one and he talked about the moderate drinker and then he talked about the person who suffers from the allergy and then he talked about the person who suffers from the allergy and also the, um, also the obsession. And I'd like my head will tell me that I suffer from the allergy because I've made a decision to stop drinking and I'm not drinking. And, uh, but what I found was that when I stopped drinking... Um, uh, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and, uh, and, and I knew it was about not drinking. And, uh, and when I got here, um, I learnt the language really quick. I can speak AA really well. And, um, and, and I, can, um, you know, I know what to say to sound good. And when I, the better I sound, the worse I'm travelling. And, um, and, I, and, and I got here as a liar, a cheat and a thief. And I stayed a liar, a cheat, and a thief for probably my first two years here, not drinking. And um, and you know, in that time, I, my marriage ended in, in my first year of uh, of, of not drinking. And uh, my kids stayed with their mother um, while, when I left. And uh, and I discovered that I, without alcohol, I'm restless, irritable, and discontent always, because I really get not drinking and grinding my teeth. I really get not drinking and being angry as hell. And I really get not drinking and frustration. And I really get, you know, um, and so I need to find something that's going to take away the things that make me feel good. Because what I discovered here was that I need to be sober and happy. It's not enough to be sober and angry, and sober and miserable, and sober and frustrated. And, um, and left to my own devices, I can't be happy. I've never discovered a way to do it in 41 years. And, um, you know, people talk about the hole and the soul. And, the, and for me, you know, I discovered that, you know, it's, sometimes it's a chocolate-shaped hole and sometimes it's a sugar-shaped hole. And sometimes, it's a, and for me, in early sobriety, it was a shoe-shaped hole. I, I spent 15 grand on shoes in 18 months <laughs> and in sobriety because I could afford that. And um, due to a divorce and a settlement, and, uh, and it made me look good. And so I could do, um, you know, pride shaped hole and I could do a shitty relationship shaped hole and uh, from being single from my wife you know and uh, and and I did all that not drinking and what I discovered was that I can't maintain it because um, in, I really want to uh, you know I, to, I need to be happy because I'm I'm not going to drink my head knows what happens when I drink I, might, I know what happens when I drink when I drink I'm drunk and I can't be drunk and so my experience is that I'm going to have a small bust and kill myself. That's a small bust. You know, and I read about it in the book. The book tells me in the, to employers that, uh, that the first three people they describe in that chapter did not drink themselves to death. They, uh, you know, they jumped off a bridge or they put a rope around their neck or they put a gun in their mouth. And, and that's my experience is that I, in early sobriety is that I just want to die, but I'm not going to drink because I'm too stubborn. And so I'm given this this dilemma that I'm going to die an alcoholic death or I need to live on a spiritual basis and I don't know what either one of them looks like and, uh, and I've learned that in the book that an alcoholic death can be you know, driving my car into a very slow wall or, or you know, doing something that's not necessarily drinking but what does living on a spiritual basis mean and I'm really smart and I'm really prideful and I don't want to ask you what it means. Because you all talk about this spiritual life. These people have got this and they've got this relationship with God and I, and I don't get it. 
and I don't want to ask. And, um, and my experience is that I, I eventually, the pain got so great in sobriety and I'm doing stuff that I don't want to do sober and I have to ask somebody and I found somebody who gave me some practical stuff to do to show me what spiritual, what spiritual life looked like. And, uh, and that person you know, took me through the steps, the 12 steps, and um, you know, that, uh, that I, I made a decision that I would go ahead with doing the program in step three, and in step four I wrote inventory, and in step five I shared that inventory with that, with that person, and in step six I asked God to, to remove my shortcomings, or I came willing to, to have them removed and the character defects. And then and in step seven I asked for them to be removed, and I didn't ask humbly because I had no idea what humble was what humility was and then through steps 8 and 9 I was shown what humility was when I went back to those people that I'd I used a different term earlier but the, the people I'd harmed and, and I faced up to the stuff that I'd done and it was my kids and it was my employer and it was my, it was my wife, ex-wife and, uh, and it was other members of Alcoholics Anonymous and it was and people, every, pretty much everybody I'd touched in my life my parents, my sister um, and I, I owned my behaviour and um, and I was told by my sponsor that you know, being honest is a spiritual action. Hell, who knew? I'd never tried it. You know, doing what I say I was going to do, um, getting responsible, being considerate, being tolerant of others, and those things certainly don't come natural to me. You know, I'm judgmental. I'm inconsiderate. I'm thinking about me. I'm self-centred to the core. It's a way I've practised being for a really long period of time. And... My experience is that uh, through a process of doing the steps, making amends, I've, you know, I don't have a, a belief in a, in a God system, but I do know that it works. I don't have, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't been introduced to God. Actually, through some relationships counselling with my current partner, um, I was introduced to a concept that's going to work for me, that I can sit down and hand my, you know, turn my will and my life over to, in, uh, in on a daily basis. Um, but I was given some open-mindedness here. And, uh, you know, the, the step says, having had a spiritual awakening, as the result of these steps, I practice the principles in all my affairs. And, and I practice, the best that I can, I practice being honest and reliable and a grown-up. You know, and I don't like being a grown-up. I've got uh, daughters now who are 19 and 16 who expect to me, me to be sober, and they expect me to be a grown-up, and they expect me to make responsible decisions. And I... You know, I've made that choice that I would do that. I was shown that that is practical spirituality for me, to do some practical stuff that I can fit into the world around me. I have no choice to be a father. I have no choice to be a member of the community. I am here. It's, and, uh, and I need to be happy. And uh, the only way I've found to be happy is to be participating in my life. And, uh, and that, for me, is hard work. You know, I, I don't want to. I don't want it all to happen. And my life's got big. You know, when I got here, there wasn't anybody in my life. And now I've got lots of people. I've got, you know, both my kids live with me. Both of my daughters live with me now. Um, I've got a partner. I've got, you know, I belong to a home group. I belong to a really active group of Alcoholics Anonymous because Alcoholics Anonymous for me is just too big. I can't do fellowship on the level that it's all these people. But in a group, a really strong group of people, I feel a part of and I'm respected and I respect them and, and I feel loved, wanted and needed. And, um, and... Belonging to that home group has allowed me to do stuff in my life that, that I'm really proud of. Because you know, if I'm not practising the rest of the program, I'm practising the 12th step. 
You know, there's quite there's days when I'm not doing inventory. There's days when I'm not praying and meditating, but there's there's always days when I'm helping others and carrying a message. And so the message of recovery sometimes is just to look at me. Some days it's good, sometimes it's a poor view. But you know, I, I belong to a group that uh, that does service. We we um, we we speak at at uh, rehabs and detoxes. We talk to newcomers. We uh, we doing host a weekend to carry a message of recovery to to you know today to a bunch of people who are in Alcoholics Anonymous but I belong to you know we we also participate in taking a message of recovery to people who will never never know you know I knew because my dad got sober in AA um, and didn't stay but stayed sober he didn't stay in Alcoholics Anonymous I knew it was about not drinking but I know that there's lots and lots of people who don't even know what AA is about and they suffer from the same problem that I suffer from and it's my responsibility as a sober alcoholic to get out there and get that message to them. They might come, they might not. They might be passing it to a, to a doctor or a nurse or somebody else out there that's going to have more interaction with those alcoholics than I am. And, um, you know, I, I'm an organiser. You know, that in my, if it's a character defect, it's a character defect, but, but um, you know, I like to organise, I like to be organised. And sometimes, you know, I, I have to put that, that particular skill that I have um, is what I can offer. Um, so I, I put up my hand for service in, uh, in a service structure of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I'm currently on in the Area D uh, area committee and, uh, and I belong to a subcommittee that raises funds uh, to pass the message and have uh, give alcoholics a chance to do 12-step work at uh, conventions for, for doctors and nurses and mental health workers. And, uh, you know, someone's got to do it. I've got two daughters, you know, one... One's really, really sick, and the other one's one of us, and she hasn't had a drink yet. AA needs to be here for my 16-year-old daughter when she decides that she wants to drink. You know, she's a, she's a self-harmer. She does. She comes to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and she goes. She says, when they're not talking about drinking, I get it. You know, and uh, and we share a thinking, a common thinking that's horrible. You know, I can sit here in a room full of alcoholics and go, oh, you guys get me. And I don't like the fact that my 16-year-old daughter gets me. <laughs> but I really do like the fact that there will be a place for her to go when she puts out her hand for help. And it's my responsibility when I'm carrying the 12th, doing the 12th step, is to make sure that there's an Alcoholics Anonymous that's going to be strong and vibrant and welcoming the newcomer. And, um, you know, this is just like my daughter. She might have come. Maybe she's not. God's got it covered. But for, for all those other newcomers that just, you know, that just aren't aware that Alcoholics Anonymous is offering a solution, what I've found here when I've been here is that, that, that it's not about not drinking. I make a decision in step three, which is really about living on a spiritual basis, that decision, alcoholic death, spiritual life, and the benefit of doing the spiritual stuff is that I don't have to think about drinking. You know, Gay mentioned yesterday when she was sharing on step two was about, you know, if I'm obsessing about not drinking or obsessing about drinking, it's exactly the same. It's obsessing about alcohol. And, uh, you know, and today I, I don't think about drinking. I don't think about not drinking. I do, I say yes to pretty much everything I'm asked to do and then I drive myself insane to get it done. It's a really good quality problem for me. My life is really, really busy. I have lots of room for self-pity in there. In my head, you know, I can sit there and go, yes, yeah, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. But that's not real. The, real. the reality of the situation is that I have nowhere else to be. My life starts here 
and I learn stuff here and then I go and practice it in my workplace, I practice it in my family, I practice it in dealing with supermarket checkout chicks or people, I, I, I practice all, all the stuff that I learn in doing the steps out in the real world, but I've got to do stuff here to be able to, to, to practice it. And, um, you know, it's been a great weekend for me to come here. I, last year I, I sat out there in the foyer for most of the, the, the weekend and I heard, I think, four speakers. And this year I've been forced to listen to every one of them, every speaker. It's been great. You know, I need to listen because I think I know it all. And, um, and I don't. You know, I, I come here, I'm, uh, I haven't had a drink for coming up in eight years. Um, and... And I've really only been doing the steps for probably about four. And, uh, you know, I'm, as I said, I belong to a really strong group of our, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous who, who keep me accountable. There's nothing more uncomfortable to be sitting around with a bunch of people who are doing the work and not be doing it myself. And so, I, you know, that's someone in the previous speakers talked about, you know, dumb head, smart feet. And, uh, and that's certainly me. I've, I've gone through recently, or 12 months ago, I went through a period where I don't belong here. I believe that you know my head will tell me that that I have uh, I've got myself to being eight years sober, and uh, and that I'm responsible for it, and I just laugh because I know that that thinking is hilarious. I couldn't get myself to being 41. You know, I wasn't going to live to be 40, and uh, and as long as I just keep dragging myself. And what I do is for me was when I have start having doubts about whether I'm an alcoholic or not, because um, I haven't had a drink for eight years, I just do more service. I give myself more and more reasons to be here. And because my pride, my pride says I will not fail at getting this stuff done. I will be organised. I will do this stuff. And those character defects that I'm holding on to are going to keep me sober. Today. Thanks a lot, Michelle. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.com. Thanks for letting us share.